to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. It's been a week of record-breaking frigid temperatures in the central and southern United States, leaving more than 4 million people living in Texas struggling to keep warm during widespread rolling blackouts. And like most things these days, this situation has become really politicized. Republicans are blaming the weakness and unreliability of what are now frozen wind turbines in the Lone Star State. Energy experts are pointing to the weakness of the power grid, while environmentalists are reminding all of us of the inevitability of these kinds of events continuing to occur as climate change intensifies. Later in the hour, we're going to talk with somebody here in Michigan who knows a lot about how energy utilities are regulated here and what we can learn from what's happening in Texas. But first, I want to welcome someone who has been following what's been playing out in the Lone Star State very closely, and who says that the biggest mistake by the state's utilities was pinching pennies at the expense of reliable service. Will England is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and a former colleague of mine from the Baltimore Sun. He currently covers energy for the financial section of the Washington Post, and he joins us now. Will, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Steve. Good to talk to you. Yes, it's good to talk to you as well. So let's start here. There are a lot of people pointing fingers in Texas this week as millions of the state's residents are struggling just to keep warm. Give us a brief overview of how the situation there has developed since this storm hit. Well, uh, on Sunday night, um, it started to get really cold in Texas, as it did in much of the rest of the middle of the country. And people naturally, um, you know, started cranking up the thermostats. A lot of houses there have electric heat. Put a huge, huge demand on the um, electric power system in Texas, which is quite unconnected to the rest of the country. They're a sort of little island by themselves. And um, But to meet that demand, unfortunately, uh, the power plants began freezing up and had, had to start shedding customers, shedding load is the expression, in order to keep the whole system from crashing. Yes, Republicans are right that some wind turbines froze mm-hmm. um, or got ice on them, but that was not the main problem by any stretch. Um, the power plants that burn natural gas uh, were had not been winterized because they don't do that in Texas, and um, they were unable to get gas because pumps were slowing down, freezing up, Diesel engines to run the pumps would not start. Moisture in the gas lines themselves was freezing. Um, and uh, gas companies were having trouble themselves getting gas out of the out of the wells. So it all came to a icing halt. And um, they, they had to shut off power, as you said, to 4 million households around Texas. And and we, we've got to talk about how the GOP-led state legislature in Texas and other GOP politicians have been handling this. They have been siding with uh, fossil fuel groups to blame alternative, alternative energy sources, uh, wind turbines that, that froze, as you, as you point out. Uh, how much of this is a collective failure and how much of this is about the choice between alternative energy and and regular energy i think i think it's fair to say it's a collective failure (laughs) um 
the the a lot of people are very angry that uh, steps weren't taken to prepare for this cold weather, which had been predicted, you know, quite some time in advance. But really, the problem is uh, Texas needs to create a financial system where it, the companies that make electricity can have the resources to um, winterize their equipment. Texans keep saying, you know, we don't need to winterize because it never gets cold here. It's gotten bitterly cold in Texas in 1989. Same thing happened in 2011. The same thing happened. And in many years in between, um, many of them not as bad as this year, but, you know, it, it happens. A problem that Texas has is that unlike most states, unlike Michigan, um, the electric rates don't have a built-in what they call a capacity factor mm-hmm. um, that allows companies to get money to build in, build out capacity to have on hand against a crisis like this. So, so what, one of the things that it kind of reminds me of, and and the situation here is a little is a little different. We have a real problem with investment in infrastructure here in Michigan with water utilities, for instance, and that is about uh, that's about the the non-payment uh, that that the water systems suffer frequently from from customers, uh, big big corporate customers. Uh, in in particular, are are pretty bad uh, about backlogging uh, those payments, but but it's also about some sort of built-in costs that don't really allow the systems to invest uh, in in the future. And so, for instance, uh, uh, our, our water system here in Detroit has a backlog of about two and a half billion dollars just to to fix problems in the system and 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 modernize. Uh, the, the problem, though, in Texas seems driven by a market-based approach as opposed to delinquency or sort of uh, uh, built-in uh, inability to, to invest in, uh, in, in infrastructure. Uh, it, it, it's, it's an interesting sort of uh, nexus, I guess, between the two. They, we both have the same kind of problems, but they have really different drivers. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Texas went strongly for um, uh, deregulation of its electric sector, electricity sector, um, starting with a bill signed into law in 1999 by the then governor, George W. Bush. And um, the, as a consequence, there are dozens and dozens of players in Texas electricity. Utility companies, what they call providers, which are like middlemen, and then the companies that generate the electricity, and there are squads and squads of those. And because it's all deregulated, there's this, um, and there's so many players in the field, there's a tremendous um, competition to cut prices. And without any reg- any mechanism for you know building that capacity in that I was talking about before, um, there's there you know there just isn't the um, any incentive for a company to prepare for an event like this. You know, it's, it's easier for them to go offline um, than to uh, um, spend money that, you know, that they're not getting in from their rates. Um, Texas does have very low, you know, uh, cost of electricity. It's probably less than half that of the of the national average. But, you know, the, the price comes at a moment like this, and, and this is this will turn out to be a very, very expensive catastrophe for the state. Mm-hmm. 
I'm talking with uh, Will England. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter with The Washington Post. He's been covering the financial and business aspect of the situation in Texas this week. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. We're talking all hour about energy, the energy grid, energy regulation here in Michigan, which we're going to talk about a little later in the show. Uh, What are you thinking as this news and these pictures roll in from Texas, uh, where millions of people don't have power, uh, just as the weather has turned uh, very, very brutal, just the way it is here. Uh, do you think the way we regulate utilities needs an overhaul? Uh, do you see the continued privatization of the energy sector as something that needs innovation and change? Uh, do you worry that what you're seeing in Texas might happen here in Michigan? There are, of course, uh, long-running debates in this state uh, about whether to deregulate uh, the energy companies and whether to introduce quote-unquote competition uh, into the system to lower rates. Uh, would we end up in the same kind of situation that Texas uh, has uh, because of that? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, one of the things, Will, that, that really strikes me as, uh, as a tension point in, in Texas is, again, the role that government officials uh, are playing here. They, they, they seem to be saying, in some cases, I mean, uh, uh, that, that people should just suck it up and weather this in order to avoid quote-unquote socialism or some move toward heavier regulation of, uh, of the energy industry. Uh, but meanwhile, I mean, the, 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 the cost, as you point out, to, to people there is going to be high, but also the social and human cost of this uh, is, is, is quite high. Um, that tension, though, uh, seems to me to be the, the you know, the, the sort of crux of, of the issue is, uh, is the role of government to make sure that things are cheap and affordable, or is the role of government to make sure that people have the services uh, that they need? It's a pretty fundamental question about the role the government plays. Yes, it is. Um, and the, uh, the most notorious instance of what you were talking about was the mayor of Colorado City, Texas, mm-hmm. who, who basically told his constituents, you know, stop complaining. Uh, it's up to you to you know, take care of yourself if the power is off or if the water's not working or anything like that. There actually <laughs> was such an outcry that he had to resign. So that was that was an interesting development. <laughs> um, uh, I think the political um, leaders of Texas would argue that uh, you know saving money, cheap cheap power, is a great thing. Um, I mentioned earlier that you know electricity in Texas, the wholesale price tended to be about you know, less than half that in the rest of the country. I should point out, though, that when you have a crisis like this, it goes through the roof. So it's gone up several thousand percent um, uh, since Monday. And, you know, that, that that's a cost as well. But to your larger point, you've got, uh, you know, um, there was, there's a picture of a um, family shelter in Dallas, which had a burst water pipe, you know, frozen and burst. And, you know, it's completely wrecked on the inside. Um, there are you know, nursing homes without power. Uh, hospitals, of course, are using emergency power. 
in places where um, electricity is ne- needed to pump water. People don't have water. Um, they're, you know, in, in um, Austin, they're saying you've got to boil your water for 15 minutes before you use it, although at least it's still flowing in the pipes. Um, it's, it's, of course, as always happens, seems to be hitting poorer neighborhoods harder than richer neighborhoods. And people have asked why that is, and there hasn't really been a very good explanation. Um, it, there's, I, I would say there's a, a lot of anger right now in Texas, and it would be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm. And, and how easy would it be to re-regulate the market in Texas? I mean, is this something that once you sort of kick the door open and, and let everything on the other side through, that you can't go back uh, to the other side? Or is it possible to put some of the things that used to make sure that uh, you know uh, there was investment in the grid back into place to prevent something like this from happening again. I, th- I think it's more of a political challenge than a than a sort of a structural or you know economic one. Um, you'd have to persuade the Texas legislature and and Governor Greg Abbott um, to go along with that. Um, he has called for reform of this. Uh, organization called the Electricity Council of Texas, which kind of um, uh, Electricity Regulatory Council of Texas, which kind of is the traffic cop that, is, that you know orders the distribution of electricity around Texas. They've gotten a lot of the blame for this, um, although really the blame is the lack of winterization by the companies. Um, uh, so he's ordered reform of, of, of this organization. I suspect that reform in his mind will take the shape of, you know, we need to rely more on oil and gas Mm -hmm. um, to to make electricity. Let me point out that uh, neighboring Oklahoma has had just exactly the same weather as Texas. In fact, it's been colder. Um, You know, conservative state. uh, um, And yet, and they had, had some rolling blackouts, but nothing like what happened in Texas. And part of the reason for that is that Oklahoma is connected, deeply interconnected with the rest of the United States um, and with the grid, and Texas is not. Texas has some small links, but nothing that allows it to import large amounts of electricity um, in, a, in a crisis. And, you know, that's, that plus the finances are the sort of the two things that a lot of people think have to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm talking with uh, Will England of the Washington Post about what's going on in Texas with uh, the grid shutting down in large parts and leaving millions of people without power just as a pretty brutal snowstorm uh, with all the cold weather that we're experiencing here uh, hitting the state. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you uh, as, about what you think about what's happening in Texas, uh, how you're looking at it from here in Michigan, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Ruby in Ferndale. Ruby, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, you know, can we please um, come on the same page and understand that deregulation is essentially removing consumer protections? Mm. The frame has been hijacked for way too long, and we need to stop saying regulation, deregulate, because 
Regulations essentially are consumer protections. If people understood that, we'd get a lot more folks on board with taking charge of Mm. these uh, corporations or entities who provide um, energy. Yeah. Uh, Ruby, that's a really great uh, point. And of course, words matter and rhetoric matters and narrative matters. Uh, Of course, the, the debate in Texas, the debate here about changing the way we regulate utilities does focus on uh, regulation and is not framed in the sense of uh, you know consumer protection or not consumer protection. Well, I wonder if you can talk about the extent to which consumer protections themselves were decimated by what uh, by what Texas did. Obviously, uh, we're seeing the consequences meet out on the customers uh, right now of of not having energy. But we we also in you know in Michigan we have lots of things that that are sort of in place to to make sure that uh, consumers don't get the raw end of the deal. Did did Texas just eliminate those things? Uh, uh, yeah, more or less. Um, uh, I would say you know that that Texan Texans have been you know enjoying fairly low electricity rates, um, and some of this undoubtedly is because of the competition that has arisen from deregulation the the cost as you point out is you have events like this which are which are simply catastrophic you know i'll give you an example of what happens without without regulation there's a uh, a company a provider like you have your utility and through your utility you choose which company you want to provide your electricity so um there's a company called gritty which is one of these providers and their deal was we're, we will charge you the wholesale price for electricity um, without a markup, um, but but it won't be fixed. So you know when the price goes down, you'll you'll benefit from that. You know that was that was their pitch. On Monday, I guess it was or Tuesday, Gritty said to send messages to his customers saying, you know because the price of electricity has gone up several thousand percent in the last 24 hours. We advise you to go find another provider right away before you get socked with a giant bill. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now, most consumers in Texas have bills like like most Americans, you know, where you, you, you know, it's, it's a set rate for a certain amount of period of time. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's just unimaginable that that's still the, the focus as, uh, as so many people are, are literally fighting for their lives and, uh, and warmth uh, in that state. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about energy in Texas and energy around the country. Uh, We want to continue to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, uh, put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. We'll hear from Dennis in East Point next. Again, if you want to join him, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Stephen Henderson, and as always, 
I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest is Will England, a reporter with The Washington Post who's been covering the financial and business aspect of the situation in Texas this week, where we see millions of people without power as the state tries to get through a major snowstorm and frigid temperatures. Uh, people are really struggling just to keep warm and keep uh, their hi- their houses from being damaged from burst pipes and uh, other things that happen when the power goes off. Uh, why is this happening in Texas? What are the solutions to what's happening there? And how does that situation compare to what we face here in Michigan, where we have uh, regulated utilities still, but we also have a pretty robust debate going on about the idea of deregulation, about the idea of free market principles uh, coming more into play in the energy sector. Uh, We would love to hear from you as well about what you think about what's happening in Texas and what you think should happen here in Michigan. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. Uh, Let's go to Dennis in East Point. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi. um, I just want to make a statement that deregulation really only hurts the poor. As you can see, the downtown and major, where all the rich people live in Texas, they had power. And um, I think the only way to have them re-regulate their power grid is to put a stipulation on the federal federal money that they're going to get for this disaster, Mm. that they have to re-regulate their uh, power grid. Because it's not fair that California, New York, everybody else's tax dollars are going to have to go to fix the situation they got themselves in. And it's happened in the past. If they don't feel any pain from this, they're not going to re-regulate. Hmm. Uh, Dennis, uh, great point, and and I absolutely hear you. First, Will, uh, talk about the disparities that may be playing out in Texas in terms of who's most affected uh, by, by this power shortage. Is Dennis right that uh, people in wealthier areas have power, uh, but people in poorer areas do not. That do- does appear to be the case. Um, the, uh, the the organization that that, that orders the distribution of electricity, uh, it's a nonprofit, um, was announcing early on in this that there were going to be rolling blackouts, but that um, uh, district that had essential services, like you know, like a hospital, for instance, or something like that. Um, would would stay on. So in the end, interestingly, there weren't rolling blackouts. There were just blackouts mm. because they were leaving the, the lights on, the power on in these essential districts. And it turns out they didn't have enough electricity to uh, rotate among the rest of the, the, the state. Um, reporting on the ground does suggest that it's it's these poor neighborhoods that have been uh, affl- you know, affected the most. Um, I, I will say they are getting the power back on in Texas. There were 4 million households without it uh, yesterday morning. There are like 600,000 today. So they, they are making progress. But, you know, it's it's kind of a familiar story, isn't it? You know, the, the uh, it, it, them, them that, that has gets and, and, and the rest of, rest of us, you know, you know, get the short end. Hmm. And the the question about federal help for Texas and whether maybe it ought to be predicated on the idea that the that they re-regulate or uh, that they that they join the national power grid, uh, which which would prevent them from being 
the island that there that there are are, are there people seriously discussing uh, those kinds of uh, initiatives here i think the the help which is coming right now from the Biden administration from FEMA is, uh, you know, it's like diesel generators and diesel fuel and that sort of thing. I, it, it's, you know, it's really not a, I'm, I'm sure a great help to Texas, but it's not sufficiently large enough that it, you know, you could sort of coerce Texas's hand. Um, also, the kind of changes that you we're talking about really would require state legislation. And so, you know, it's, that would be a slow process. I don't think for this immediate crisis, the federal government can kind of put those kind of yeah. um, requirements down. Uh, you know, going forward, uh, they, they could try to bring some pressure. But let me point out that the isolation of the grid in Texas is very intentional because it enables Texas to avoid, unlike the whole rest of the country, um, federal regulation of the electricity sector. Uh, and so... There would be, you know, given who controls the legislature in Texas and the governor's office, I think there would be a lot of resistance to the idea of coming under federal regulation. In mm-hmm. fact, Rick Perry, the former governor, later was Secretary of Energy for the United States, overseeing uh, the regulation of electricity in the 49, I'm sorry, the 47 continental states. Um, said yesterday that uh, a couple of days of blackouts is worth it if it means Texas can keep its independence. Yeah, Yeah, right. He he said, look, let's resist socialism, Uh, suck it up uh, during this, and uh, we can keep our free market. Yeah, it was a really remarkable quote. Uh, Again, Dennis, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Lisa in East Point. Lisa, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Hi. Um, Hi. So... To me, one of the most alarming parts of this story is what people in the state are hearing. If they listen to NPR, they're going to hear about how the whole grid failed. But if they listen to Fox News, the governor is telling people the problem is the 10% of the grid that's using renewable energy. Mm. And once again, you know, the, the media and the truth that people get are going to form how they react to this and what they support and um that part concerns me more than any other part of this story. Yeah, it makes it difficult to come to any kind of uh, shared set of facts that might lead to coherent response uh, to this. Lisa, it's a great, it's a great point. Uh, Will, I wonder what what you make of how effective the the narrative that GOP um, officials in Texas are putting out that this is this is about the push toward alternative energy. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people debunk that, but uh, but is that debunking as effective as the message itself? Well, on the one, on the one hand, I've been getting a lot of abusive emails from people who, who argue that wind, wind turbines are the problem. Um, but I will say that Governor Abbott kind of walked that back yesterday in a news conference, in a press conference in um, Austin, um, I that suggests to me that Republicans are beginning to figure out this is not a winning argument. Hmm. Uh, they they may not keep at it, and of course, um, you can't watch Fox News if you don't have electricity. So that's, that's one thing. <laughs> that's right, uh, Lisa. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's go to, quickly to Dan in Southfield. Dan, welcome to the program. Yeah, hey, Stephen. Dan. 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 Hey, 
my question is kind of simple, and you hit this a lot in your broadcast, but why aren't corporations, the people who run these corporations when they make decisions, held to the same standards that individuals, that I as a member of society are? Why are why are these corporations allowed to act so irresponsible? No, nobody would say that. Well, I'm allowed to ignore the rules about you know leaving crap all over my uh, property and it can catch on fire and then move over to your house. You would be arrested, or you know there would be some prosecution against you by the rest of the society. Hmm. Why are these people allowed to get away with this? Yeah, That's a great question, uh, Dan, and it, it gets to the heart of these questions about the role of government and the interaction between government and the corporate community to hold them accountable for the way that decisions they make affect uh, the people who are represented by uh, our government. Uh, Will, the, when we talk about deregulation, uh, I mean, I feel like there are two prongs. One is the idea of free market competition, which might lower price. But the, then there is also this dimension of liability and responsibility. And it seems to me that y- you don't have to eliminate all of those things to, to indulge the free market. But it seems maybe like uh, like Texas did. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I mean, Dan said, "Why are these corporations allowed to, you know, ignore the rules?" And of course, the, the fact of the matter in Texas is there are no rules. They got rid of the rules, right? <laughs> they got rid of the rules. Um, certainly, there is likely to be a lot of fighting in courts over liability, um, you know, stemming from this in- this incident. Uh, but you know the whole point of a corporation is that they were they were designed originally to um, you know limit liability, and that's that's kind of the the system that we have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Will England, it was really great to have you here on the program uh, to talk about this, and great to catch up with you. Uh, just for my listeners' uh, information, Will England is one of the people. Uh, who taught me so much about uh, journalism and writing when I was a young reporter uh, back in Baltimore. So, Will, it's really great to have you here. Oh, come on. I learned a lot from you. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you, too. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about what utility regulation looks like here in Michigan. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDETM. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The news from Texas has been met with a lot of criticism from people who say that state's decision to have a largely unregulated energy system led to this catastrophe. Meanwhile, here in Michigan, we have a very heavily regulated system that sets and approves rates for our utilities. And in return, DTE and consumers' energy have near monopolies over customers in most parts of our state. But there are free market groups who want Michigan's energy supply to look more like what goes on in Texas. What does this story tell us about the system we have, the efforts to change it, and what would happen if we had a system that looked a little more like Texas? 
That's where we want to continue the conversation today. And joining us to talk about that issue is Douglas Jester. He is a partner at the Lansing-based Five Lakes Energy, which specializes in utility regulation, energy policy, research, and modeling. Douglas Jester, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Nice to be with you. Yeah, great to have you here. So what's been going through your mind as you watch what happens in Texas, this failure of the grid and uh, the consequences that are meeting out for people who live there? Well, the the problem in Texas is one of those things that happens every now and then. Uh, and it's really because we as a society either can't get our minds around uh, risks of occasional events uh, or are not prepared to make the investments necessary to avoid the consequences. Um, there are a number of specific issues in, in the Texas story, but uh, everywhere you look, uh, we have risks that we don't manage well, uh, including here in Michigan. And so talk about what, what those risks look like here in Michigan, things that, that we're not doing the way we should. Well, um, this will seem a little bit remote from energy, but not entirely. Uh, Listeners will recall that uh, we had a couple of dams fail uh, up near Midland uh, last summer. Uh, Those were hydropower dams, but the problems there were incidental to the fact that they were used to generate power. Um, There was a big rainstorm. The volume of water exceeded what the dams were able to handle. Uh, and one of them washed out and another was severely damaged. A lot of people were harmed. A lot of property was damaged. Uh, uh, the plain fact is that those dams were not designed for that rainfall, and yet we knew that there was a probability that it would happen, and the regulatory system failed to take that into account. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I've been watching what happens in Texas, I've been thinking a lot about the conversations that we have here in Michigan about infrastructure more more broadly. And I'm glad you brought up those dam failures because that's not the energy grid per se. It's it's another part of our infrastructure that we rely on to, to provide services and keep us safe. I, I feel like uh, when we talk about infrastructure in this state, I mean, we have a significant and long-running disinvestment problem uh, that that puts us in a really vulnerable spot for all kinds of things uh, to go wrong. In the previous segment, I talked a little about uh, the the lack of investment in water infrastructure here in southeast Michigan in particular, uh, DWSD or Great uh, Lakes Regional Water uh, Authority, um, has $2.5 billion of backlogged uh, maintenance that, that um, when, when things happen, uh, when unusual uh, weather or uh, other events happen, you know that system. That system is is what we rely on to keep uh, clean water running to our taps and to keep sewage running out of our houses uh, in, into someplace else. But but overall, I think we are not in we're not in great shape as a state. Is that a fair assessment? It is. Um, there are a number of groups that do report cards in, on infrastructure and have for many years been telling us that our infrastructure, both in Michigan and across much of the rest of the country, is deficient and needs uh, investment. And we 
occasionally make some of those investments, but uh, we still really have institutional biases against making the kinds of systematic and continuous investments that are necessary to keep infrastructure in shape, safe, uh, and functioning uh, for everyone. Uh, so let's talk specifically about uh, about Texas, and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your assessment of Texas's energy uh, deregulation, which many people are saying is responsible mm-hmm. for this uh, power outage. Texas' um, approach to electricity regulation has been an interesting experiment to watch, uh, and there are aspects of it that uh, I think the rest of us can learn positive lessons from, but there also are uh, obviously problems. Um, In your earlier segment, one of the things that you talked about is that they have this isolated uh, transmission region uh, called ERCOT. And the rest of the country, at least the continental part of the country, is in large interstate regions. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do that to avoid federal regulation, as was discussed. But one of the consequences is that when you have a large-scale event like uh, a weather event of this kind, they have no way to nowhere to turn to for support. They're isolated and must deal with it with their own resources. Um, we in Michigan are part of the Eastern Interconnect, which is a transmission region that is everything from the Atlantic to um, the kind of the plains near the Rockies, uh, with the exception of ERCOT. And um, so we have a portfolio of resources to draw on. If we're having particularly bad weather in Michigan and some of our power plants are out, we probably can draw from Ohio or Indiana or Tennessee uh, for additional power. Uh, And so scale of transmission and including lots more generation resources is one of the ways that you limit those risks. And I think um, ERCOT should be thinking hard about the value of their independence uh, or whether it's not worth building some connections to the rest of the country. Hmm. And when we think about the the grid here, so I think most people, when you talk about uh, the energy grid here in Michigan, think back to, I think it was 2002, I actually was not uh, living here at the time when there was this massive power outage uh, here, not just here, but uh, stretching all the way across east to uh, to New York and, and, and places like that. What's the difference, I guess, between what happened here and what's happening uh, in Texas? Or are there lots of similarities between those incidents? <laughs> There are technical differences in what happened, but there are certainly lots of similarities. In Texas, the problem has been that the cold weather uh, both increased people's need for energy uh, and interfered with the production of electricity. Uh, Part of the problem with producing electricity was that it interfered with the production of natural gas uh, and the delivery of natural gas to power plants. What happened in that uh, event uh, that you referred to where the uh, much of the eastern interconnect went down was an engineering problem where there was a technical instability in the grid that just cascaded out. Um, one of the things about these large systems is 
fragility can creep into them as you try to make them more efficient. Uh, and if there's not sufficient attention paid to keeping those things in balance, you can get these sort of sudden collapses of, of the grid. So there's been a lot of work been done to solve that problem in the Eastern interconnect, which is not to say that it couldn't happen again, uh, but it was a technical engineering problem rather than something caused by weather. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm talking with Douglas Jester, a partner at the Lansing-based Five Lakes Energy, which specializes in utility regulation and energy policy and research and modeling. We're talking about Michigan versus Texas, uh, where, of course, in Texas, we're seeing a massive, a massive failure of the energy grid and the suffering that people in that state are mm -hmm. experiencing because of it. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. Let us know what you think of what's happening in Texas. Mm -hmm. Do you worry that that could happen here in Michigan? Or are you somebody who is advocating for deregulation of the system here the way that they did uh, in Texas. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let, let's talk about the efforts to deregulate here in Michigan, Douglas. It's something that I feel like a few years ago was uh, a hotter conversation than it is now, but I know that there are still lots of people who think uh, we ought to we ought to add more competition to the system that that DTE and consumers now now uh, dominate. Uh, catch us up to where we are in that debate and talk about what you think would happen if we did deregulate the system more. Okay, so first of all, just as a matter of setting the landscape, about 10% of the population of Michigan are, get their electricity from either uh, rural electric cooperatives, which are owned by their customers, uh, or by municipal utilities that are owned by a city and then may serve adjacent cities, which are correct that you know most of the state is served by so-called investor-owned utilities, with DTE and consumers being the largest by far. And then there are a handful of smaller ones um, around the state. And in the 1980s and 90s, there was an evolving idea that uh, these so-called natural monopolies, because we only can afford one set of wires to everybody's house, um, needn't necessarily include power generation, that competition in power generation would be more efficient. So uh, there was a period when a uh, number of states tried uh, deregulating uh, the generation of power, just creating markets and letting the market decide what kind of power and how much and uh, owned by whom. Uh, Michigan took that step in the late 1990s and legislation actually passed, I think in 2001, uh, and then we set about deregulating. By 2005, there'd been enough experience in other places that this didn't work so well, uh, and Michigan started to reverse course. In 2008, there was legislation that essentially re-regulated. But at that point, there were customers who were 
participating in the competitive market and liked it, mostly large industrial customers. So they advocated for uh, being able to continue to participate in a deregulated market. So what was done then is that the state re-regulated but allowed up to 10% of the electricity sold in each utilities service area to come from competitive suppliers. Uh, at the time, about 3% of electricity was being delivered in that way. Prices changed and it became very economically attractive. We have been essentially at 10% ever since about 2010. And periodically there's a, an argument at the legislature about changing it where some people, particularly the utilities, argue that we should fully re-regulate and others, particularly the large industrial customers, argue that we should further deregulate uh, and thereby give them access to cheaper power. Mm. And we've been through uh, now three rounds of that debate and are essentially at a stalemate. Um, so we now have the only, we are the only state where we have this sort of partial deregulation. And, and how's that working? So it does, does it give us the benefits of deregulation without the risks of extreme deregulation in your view? So in the 2016 round of energy legislation, um, this question was debated. And one result was that the legislature directed the Public Service Commission to annually scrutinize the resource adequacy, as it's called in the trade, of every electricity supplier, including the uh, market uh, participants, not just the regulated utilities, and make sure that looking forward four years, they have adequate generation capacity to serve their customers. And if they don't have adequate generation capacity to serve their customers, they're forced to buy it from the territorial utility. So that is a measurable improvement in the approach to reliability uh, here in Michigan. The um, other thing that's been going on though is um, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which oversees the, the larger grid, has created um, these regional organizations, kind of like ERCOT, but uh, applying to other regions, each of which has its own rules. So they don't all operate like ERCOT does. Um, most of Michigan is in what's called the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, mm -hmm. or MISO. Uh, and one of the responsibilities that that organization has is also to make sure that every electricity supplier um, either owns or purchases from another utility or a merchant provider enough capacity to serve their own peak load plus a reserve margin to cover risks of plant outages or unexpected load, things like that. Mm. And MISO is discovering um, that where they used to think that the problem was summertime, the peak load on the hot, you know, July or August afternoon, and that they needed to plan for that. Most of the periods when we're short are in fact other parts of the year, mm -hmm. often associated with severe winter weather. 
So the problem that they're having uh, in Texas is one that we're also seeing in this region. Um, and they've been doing a lot of work the last few years looking at whether they should change their standards for, the, for utilities to require not just preparedness for the summer peak, but you know, more of a seasonal approach or um, something that you know, would be carefully tailored to when, when the risks occur. Um, during the year. Mm -hmm. So we've been evolving our approach uh, in Michigan and this region in order to do better at uh, the adequacy of our power plants. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, Let's go to Jackson in Highland Park. Jackson, I've only got about a minute and a half left, but I really wanted to get you in here. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Douglas. Um, Yeah, I I wanted to say it's great to hear a real technical discussion about the energy system um, because so often we see the utilities get away with a lot, especially in Detroit, um, because of the control over the information over how the system works. I wanted to highlight that reliability is a huge issue locally, and a lot of the things we've seen happen in Texas are in process here. There's an over-reliance on gas infrastructure, heavy investments in gas infrastructure being approved, and an incredibly old aging system, especially in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, The commission is actually making decisions about this in the very near future um, regarding compensation for outages and creating real financial incentives for the utilities to invest in their infrastructure. So in in short form, knowing we only have a little bit of time, I did want to say that There are decisions in front of the commission right now that are about the financial incentives for DTE and other utilities to actually invest in infrastructure improvements, which they have been consistently not doing at a local level. I wanted to make sure that was dropped in there. We've experienced that at the local level a lot. Right, Jackson, I'm really glad you called uh, and shared that. This is a present and urgent issue here in Michigan to preserve the system a little better uh, than they have in Texas. Okay, Douglas Jester, partner at uh, Five Lakes Energy. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we continue our ongoing series of conversations with writers at The Atlantic about their new series called Inheritance that's bringing attention to the legacy and experiences of black Americans that have been kept out of our history books for way too long. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.